Get your business together. Get yourself into what you do and see it through. Being boss is hard. Blending work and life is messy. Making a dream job of your own isn't easy. But getting paid for it, becoming known for it, and finding purpose in it is so doable if you do the work. Being Boss is a podcast for creative entrepreneurs brought to you by Emily Thompson and Kathleen Shannon. Hi, I'm Emily, and I own Indie Shopography, where I help passionate entrepreneurs establish and grow their business online by helping them build brands that attract and websites that sell. I help my clients launch their business so they can do more of what they love and make money doing it. And I'm Kathleen. I'm the co-owner of Braid Creative, where I specialize in branding and business visioning for creative entrepreneurs who want to blend who they are with what they do, narrow in on their core genius, and shape their content so they can position themselves as experts to attract more dream clients. And Being Boss is a podcast where we're talking shop, giving you a peek behind the scenes of what it takes to build a business, interviewing other working creatives, and figuring it out as we go right there with you. Check out our archives at lovebeingboss.com. Welcome to episode number 43. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Hello, bosses. <laughs> Today we have a very special episode because we are live in New Orleans with 75 other bosses. And we're going to be answering their questions quickfire style. All right, you guys, I need to talk a little bit about our sponsor, FreshBooks. I don't need to. I want to. They have been so amazing and supportive. I, I just don't think that we could have done it without them. They are such a huge factor in why we've been able to do what we've done. And legit, we would have lost a lot of money on New Orleans if they hadn't helped us out a little bit. So... Big thank you to FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. I think a lot of you are already using them, um, and yeah, they're good. Yesterday, we talked to the CEO, Mike McDermott, on uh, Skype, or actually FaceTime, because we had logistical issues, and it was so inspiring um, talking to him. I can't wait to get him on the show for a full episode. That's going to have to happen. Uh, so thank you so much to FreshBooks. FreshBooks is easy to use. It's an online cloud accounting system designed specifically for creative entrepreneurs. They are there to help you run your business and make you look like a boss while doing it. Try FreshBooks for free today. Go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and select being boss in the how did you care about us section. All right. So, Nola. Or New Orleans. Nolans. Um, we're having so much fun. Yeah, I've eaten lots of good food. Are you, dinner last night apparently was pretty epic for everyone, I think. We have to poop, we have to poop right now. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to tell you guys, so we were like, <laughs> <laughs> There's a hard stop at noon today. <laughs> Because I have a psychic reading to go to, and Emily has to poop. <laughs> um, aside from that, aside from the food, aside from the food, what what all have we done? We had we started with the pool party, which was really really fun on the rooftop. 
just chill. Like everyone's starting to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. Then we had the cocktail party that evening. What that tiki place was? It was so his, cute. The lights, the lights. I wanted to take those home, and I thought about stealing one. So it's funny because it, we were in a tiki room with seventy-five of us girl bosses, and uh, there were like a couple of guys. And yeah. And Lauren was like, these guys are going to be like, why are these girls so into each other? <laughs> um, but what was really cool, the one of the more touching moments that I had at the cocktail party was a fellow boss came up to me and she was like, I've had a couple of drinks, so I just need to tell you um, being boss means a lot. What really excited us is that she told us that in the last seven months, she's made more money than she had in the last three years combined. And that made Emily cry. Like, Emily was like, oh. Um, no, but it was no. really sweet. And, like, a big shout-out to, again, FreshBooks for buying all of our bosses a drink. And Acuity Scheduling also mm-hmm. hooked our bosses up with a drink there. Um, too loud. Let's <laughs> see. Edit that out, Corey. Um. <laughs> All right. And then um, yesterday we had the master class, which was so much fun. Like, guys, that went way better than I anticipated. <laughs> Just so you know, I had a ton of fun, and it was super conversational, which I loved more than anything. That it was like a good open group conversation about all kinds of things. We talked about all kinds of things yesterday. A lot of things. Like what? <laughs> I don't remember. We talked about we talked about offerings and clarity of purpose. We and talked about defining your roles, mm-hmm. and then we had just a good Q and A session. We talked about like building your team and a little bit about pricing. Yep, some about pricing. It was it was really fun. Yeah, it was really great. Um, last night we had dinner in the French Quarter. We so it, apparently it's really hard to reserve dinner for seventy five people in one place. <laughs> So that was one of the logistical things that we really had to learn and that you don't think is a big deal until, like, you're figuring it out. Right. Um, So we had dinner at five different restaurants. We kind of divided and conquered Mm -hmm. and um, had so much fun. I feel like I got to talk to a lot of bosses about their struggles and their victories and a lot about, like, a lot is coming up around woo-woo things and spirituality. Yeah, I had a really good conversation the other night about, like, intuition and women in business and how we're way more boss at it than men because of that. All right, we have some boy <laughs> bosses. None of them are here. Right. Which just goes to show. But no, really. We love <laughs> I love the guys. Um, but there is something about us ladies and our intuition. Right. Makes us better at business, I think, sometimes. What else? Um, let's see. Afterwards, we walked down to Frenchman Street, which is where a lot of the locals were telling us we needed to go. Like, stay away from Bourbon Street, go to Frenchman Street. It was still wild and yeah. fun and full of energy. We went to the art market. There was a girl there selling, like, these leather harnesses, and I had no less than eight bosses come up to me, and they are like, did you see the leather harness? <laughs> I know, Val and I saw it, and we we almost just, like, waited for you. <laughs> I mean, it was, call you, come here now. Um, yeah, I got I got some really fab earrings and a, oh, and a nice. candle I'm going to take home and make my house smell good. Mm. That's the plan. It's fun stuff. Now we're doing the podcast. So I had a nightmare 
but right before I woke up that we were doing our pod. I know it's really boring to talk about your dreams, but I had a dream like this morning. This one's not boring, guys. It's hysterical. <laughs> we were doing the podcast recording underwater. <laughs> uh, and the logistics, because I was really nervous about the logistics of just recording in an open room, and I hate it whenever we get feedback about our sound. Right. Um, we know. Anyway, so I was nervous about the sound here, so then doing an underwater podcast. And so Emily had her best friend Mikey come in to help us with some of the tech yesterday. We were doing an underwater podcast, and I was like, where's Mikey? And then Emily was, like, reading our agenda from two months ago, and I was like, that's not what we're talking about. And Anyway, so I guess I had a little anxiety about, I, I never have those kinds of dreams. I'm like, whatever. Anyway. Um, so yeah, now we're doing the podcast after mm-hmm. this. I do have a hard stop at noon because I'm going to go get a tarot card reading and a chakra reading. Good. I look forward to hearing how that goes. You yeah. always have the best stories around the woo-woo <laughs> shit that you do. He's going to come back and tell you something crazy. I can't wait. I think it's a she and I heard that she's amazing. So Good. Um, and then tonight we're doing a ghost tour. Yes, this is the thing that I'm most excited for. As many times as I've been here, it's always on my list. I've never done it. I hope we see something insane. Uh, some of our bosses are legit there scared are of ghosts. There are some sincere fears of ghosts in this room. It is hysterical to me. <laughs> really, really funny. Do you so, believe in ghosts? Um, I do a little bit. So, funny story. My grandmother is one of those really crazy people who like can feel ghosts a little bit and I've never seen it firsthand I don't really know if I believe it but it's my grandmother of course I believe a little bit um so I think a little yeah I think there's some like retained energy in places I don't want to say I know at all what it is but yeah yesterday in our master class we were talking about like who do you want to be whenever you're 60 I want to be the grandma that makes everyone think that I believe in ghosts. I know, right? And but, like, I have legitimacy now because I'm old. <laughs> yeah, I think my grandmother, on some level, probably just makes it makes her a little more formidable. Like, my, you don't mess with my grandmother. She's, like, southern badass. Like, the evil eye is a real thing. <laughs> Real thing. All right. So let's get into the questions yes. because um, we're not going to try and make this a two-hour podcast, but it might turn into that. Uh, we got a lot of questions in our Facebook group from our NOLA bosses, but if you guys have any questions on the fly for sake of editing, if you want to shoot them to us via GroupMe, I will have my phone up here. Um, so let's, let's begin. Get started. First question, and I'm not going to name names because a lot of people had questions, and that way you guys can ask something, I don't know, whatever. What was your revenue like when you hired your first team member, and how has having help affected your revenue thereafter? Perfect. Um, I hired my first team member, or at least my current team member. I had a couple like spotty people before that just came in and helped with some small things, but I hired Corey. Um, who was my first like legit, super legit team member um, at a time when my business was supporting me. So um, it was making enough revenue that like I was comfortable where I was, but not quite to the point where I could really monetarily justify actually having a team member. I just absolutely had to have a team member because I could not make any more money without someone there to help me 
make more money. And so with Corey, for example, like I web design development, um, I was at a place in my business where I was spending more time working on like client maintenance, so like old client stuff, and I couldn't work with new clients because I was still taking care of all the old clients. So I was able to have him come in and, um, and take over a lot of that like hourly, just sort of maintenance stuff that comes up after a website launches so that I could then work on new clients. Um, and it affected my revenue because then he could do that stuff and I could go get new clients. And it just snowballed from there. I mean, we started hiring pretty early on. So our revenue was growing anyways as we were growing our team. Um, but I will say I'm gonna actually going to change my answer to this question a little bit and just say, because I think one of the questions is when do you know to hire? So that's kind of what I'm going to answer I'm, um, is we decided to hire when we were both, me and my sister, feeling at 125% capacity. So it's just enough where you're feeling the pain, but you can still manage it yourself. Um, and knowing like what does 125% feel like is takes some um, probably self-awareness. All right. Someone asked how I'm liking my new hair. So about a month ago... <laughs> I cut off my locks. They were down to my waist, and now I have, um, I, I don't know how you describe it, like the sides of my head are shaved, right. and the top is a little bit long, poofy. kind of like, kind of poofy. I mean, like, good, mm -hmm. good poofy. It's poofy. I mean, Look you've seen it. it like poofy, poofy. Yeah, but like, <laughs> you're right. I've <laughs> seen it poofy, poofy. Um, I love it. I mean, what's not to like, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got asked, what is the future of being boss? Yeah, I think it ends here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. This, this is, is our finale. No. <laughs> no. No, um, we want to do more events, absolutely. Uh, we've talked a little bit about maybe doing them every six months, like spring and fall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny going into this. We didn't know how it was going to be. We mm -hmm. didn't know if we would like it because, again, the test and change thing. You just yep. have to try things out and see if you like it or if you don't like it. Emily and I did not get into business together. We didn't even really know it was a business right. to do events. Like, we just didn't really – well, that's not true. We tried doing a workshop four years ago. We did. And and, was and it crickets, no one signed up. And now we have a room of 75 bosses. <laughs> Just goes to show. Yeah, do the work. Um, <laughs> so, no, more events, absolutely. And we knew that this weekend for us would be, like, the defining point of, like, if this event sucked, we would never do them again. Um, but if it went really well, then it would absolutely be something that we did. And we, It's going well. It's, it's going really well. We like it. Um and we've had the conversation before. Like, we have our separate businesses. Like, we do work that we love every single day. And we have talked about Being Boss being the platform that we do passion projects. Like, a platform where we can have events and travel and do fun things. Where you're curating a shop with shop good, right? Like, is that yeah. going to be a thing? Like, cur curating some goods. Yeah, so Shopgood did our totes, by the way, and um, they did a Like a Boss t-shirt. Mm -hmm. If you go to my Instagram, I have a link to their page, um, but also I'll try and get them to put up a Shop 
goodokc.com slash being boss page that takes you directly to that t-shirt that I was wearing. Yeah. And so I think, I think being boss will evolve. Like this is one of those things where we're not going into it, having any idea where we're going to be in 12 months. Like, but also I think more events, um, My sister and I were talking a lot about, I mean, we're, we're always talking about writing a book and it kind of stresses me out, mm-hmm. but um, right now the question is, do we write a book for Braid Creative or for Being Boss? And so I haven't talked to you about this yet, but I think we need to write a book. <laughs> Great. Let's talk about that. <laughs> so um, any book agents, if... Random yeah, if you're listening out there. Listening. <laughs> they are. Good they are job. listening. They have hollered at us. But I think that maybe now we can write that book. Um, and then continuing to do the podcast, we love yes. doing it. We would love to create something. Right now we have our um, packaged email subscriptions, mm-hmm. but we would love to create a product that people can buy and we're – talking about what that is. We have something in the works. We just needed to get through this weekend before we could start hammering out what that is. Right. I'm excited to share more, but I'm not ready yet. Neither am I. I don't, let me write, me let me tell you what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hardly ready to talk about that. Um, so number four is why is it that everybody wants to know what to charge for their services, but no one is willing to start the conversation with actual numbers. I love this question. I thought it was a bullshit question. <gasps> so Emily was like, what is that? I was like, what? I love this question. All right. Here's the deal around. I think it's really important to talk numbers and to actually say the numbers. I think especially for women. Um, I There is a little bit of a stigma around it. But I I wanted to tell you guys a story. A few years ago, I was at a yoga retreat, and there was a guest or another guest at the retreat, and she was really great. And we were having really good, honest conversations about our goals and what we wanted. And I said, and I'm going to share actual numbers. I said, I want to make $120,000 a year working just four hours a day. So I got really specific about my goal. That was a big, big number. And she was like, I would be out on the street, like living like a hobo on $120,000 a year. All of a sudden, I felt really shitty about my big number and my big goal. So I want people to know that and, and I coach creatives and I say, what's your dream number? Like, what is your dream number salary? Um, just a few weeks ago, someone said, I just really, my dream number is $36,000 a year. If I had laughed at her or said, that would have made her feel awful. And, and legit, I think that's a good number to make. So here's the deal is that the amount of money that you need and the amount of money that you want changes with every individual. And I think that's why it's so hard to talk about numbers. And then also pricing your services, the same kind of needs and wants and gut feelings will change for everyone. So I think it is a really, really personal decision and conversation. Um, People can be made to feel bad about it. I even know like with with all these e-course 
like teaching people how to do e-course stuff, going around and like, I made six figures in six months. Like that's just not really attainable for a lot of people. And I don't want anyone to feel bad about the number that they are making or that they want to make. Um, that said, Emily and I talk about numbers all the time. We're in similar industries. We trust each other and we're kind of in the same boat, I think. So it's good to talk very specific numbers. And now that we share a bank account with being boss, <laughs> right. you know, we have to talk numbers, <laughs> um, even with our goals and all of that. So I just think it's really personal and I get where you're coming from. Like no one wants to start the conversation with actual numbers. I think that's important, but I also think that it's, um, it changes for everyone. And I never want anyone to feel bad about how little or how much they're making. Agreed. And my view around this question was, that I do hear numbers a lot, and granted, they're usually from men, um, but you do hear lots of conversations about numbers. So just the idea that, like, you never hear anything about numbers, I had to call bullshit a little bit. Um, but I think the key here is if you're not hearing people talk about numbers in your industry, you talk about the numbers. You start that conversation, and you get that ball rolling. Don't wait for everyone else go at it and see what comes back. Because if you start talking about them, everyone else will do. And then you'll have a better gauge of what you're doing. We got asked, how do you discern between your intuition talking to you and your fear talking to you when making business and of course life decisions? I sleep on it. <laughs> like that's like, that's my, my magic thing. <laughs> sleep. Um, I should do that more. You should. You should, actually. <laughs> huh. um, no, I think um, for me, it's super hard to discern. I mean, they feel very similar. Um, but if you can, if you can sleep on it, like usually the feeling you have when you wake up when you haven't had time to get scared yet is the gut. And for me, that's, that's how I make all my decisions. It's how I fix problems. Like, I'm one of those people that can go to sleep and wake up and have it solved. And like, that's how I code websites a lot of times is, like, if I get into a coding, like, block and I can't figure out how to make something work, I leave it and I go to sleep and I wake up and it's solved. So for me, sleeping on it is how I do it. I think that, I think that gut check you do first thing in the morning before you have time to overthink things um, is a pretty magical place. My heart just stopped because I was like, are we recording? <laughs> this happens every episode. <laughs> every single episode. Like, and, oh my God, we're not recording. And really, if it's not her, it's me. Like one of us has that moment where we go make sure we actually hit recording. We're, it's recording. I see it. <laughs> it's like, you know that feeling whenever you know that you've left your purse somewhere? That like... You know, it's exactly that feeling. Um, okay, so, <clears throat> sorry, intuition and fear. Um, I've learned, I recently just had a failure, and everyone's like, no, it was a learning experience. No, it was a failure. No, it was a learning experience. <laughs> I learned that from that that I can ask myself, if this fails, was it worth trying? Um... <laughs> I went into this project, if I had known that it was going to fail, it would not have been worth trying because I was doing it because I wanted the money. I liked the people involved, but I was comparing it to like um, a one-night stand. Like I've learned that I'm not very good at 
doing it if I don't love someone. <laughs> Maybe we should edit. Sorry, Corey. Maybe we should edit this part out. No, don't. Continue. That was funny. So <laughs> that's just me. If you can, you know, whatever. No judgment. But for me, and I kind of like hated that about myself. Like I want to be, you know, wild, whatever. Um, but I've learned the same thing about business. Like if I don't love it, if my heart is not in it, it's not going to be good. So this podcast, for example, whenever Emily approached me to do it, um, if it failed, yeah, it's worth trying. Like still, if it crashes and burns somehow, I don't, I don't see that. But don't say that out so, loud. So, um, <laughs> so it's kind of like that whole like, what's the phrase? If you love and lose, what? <laughs> Here we go with our Okay, okay. Here's what it is. It's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. Yay! (laughs) That's because I had, like, a room of 75 people, like, mentally, like, mentally sending the phrase to me. Thanks, you guys. Um, But also, I just started reading Big Magic. I'm literally, like, four pages in. So I think that's a really great book to read for intuition and fear and all of that. So check that out. All right. Um, What is the one thing you do when you have that, I'm just going to go back to working for someone else thought to shake it off, work through it, deal with it? Or do you not have those thoughts in your fifth year and beyond of doing business? You absolutely have those thoughts. I have them all the time. All all the time. Um, At least once a week. Some some email lands in my inbox or some project hits a road bump or... Road bump? Speed bump? (laughs) Road bump? (laughs) A thing. And... um, It hits something. It hits something. Or, or something happens, or I just wake up and I just want to stay in bed, or whatever. Like, it totally still happens. And for me, it's just like a moment of pros and cons. And the pros of working from home and doing what I love and being my own boss and working with my team and all of those things will always greatly outweigh the pros of going back to any job ever. Um, I can't think of a single job I would ever want to have, even really a little bit. Um, So, yes, absolutely have those feelings. And for me, it's just like recognizing the good things that I have from doing what I love and that even if you're just beginning, the pros will really start outweighing the cons. And um, it will always be more worth it for me to like get through the hard spots than it would be for me to give up and go work for someone else. Um, I take a different approach. I like to follow the fantasy and see where it goes. So I want to quit my job working for myself and work for someone else. What does that look like? Literally, am I putting together a resume? Am I putting together a portfolio? Am I calling? I always have this fantasy of going and working for my friends, Dustin and Brian at Ghost. They're also boss fans, but like, what would it be like to go work for them? So then I imagine literally calling them on the phone or my friends at ShopGood, they needed a new person. I was like, I want to do that. So I have a long conversation usually with my sister. And that's what I love about being business partners with her is that she allows, she goes there with me and she's like, okay, Let's go there. So then it becomes actually a reality because I'm talking to my business partner about what it would be like to leave the really amazing thing we've created together. 
Um, so I follow the fantasy all the way to then working for someone. And then I'm like, okay, so then what's it like waking up and getting ready? And even that kind of sounds fun, like a nice change of pace from staying in my pajamas or whatever. Um, so like I'm getting up and I'm getting ready and then I'm going to work and I look so cute. And then what's it like dealing with the client? So almost like the ideal day exercise, like what are the conversations that you want to be having? I think about what is my ideal day working for someone else? And then usually what I'll do is I'll take pieces from that and then bring them into my own work. So if it is getting up and looking cute and going somewhere, I just do that for myself. Um, also, uh, what was I going to say about that? There was another thing. I forgot. All right. Let's keep going. We got a couple of questions on the GroupMe app um, that I want to answer real quick. Let's do it. What advice do you have for bosses who want to raise their average contracts from 15K to 50K? Um, you learn how to sell, basically. Um, we've had Kendrick on the show before, Kendrick show. She just sells school and she does some one-on-one coaching. And um, I did something similar whenever I launched my Indie Boom projects. And you have the skills. Like if you are in a place where you're even considering raising your contract prices that much, it's because you have the chops. The difference there is learning how to actually sell that to someone. Like that's the missing skill set there. Um, and so learning how to sell, learning how to break down your benefits and explain those to a client, that's how you make that jump. And I'm going to approach this from a more, um, energetic space, which is, I think that you have to have the capacity to handle a $50,000 job. There's a lot of pressure that might come with that as far as expectations. So I would just, um, know what you're getting into. All right. Um, we also got asked, do you have any examples of sneaking in more woo-woo and love into your client interactions? So this conversation, I mean, we've been talking a lot about the woo-woo in New Orleans. Um, sometimes it's literally maybe just for me, um, a big one is whenever they make that investment with me, I kind of say a little wish for them that they will see a tenfold return on their investment in six months. So their business will recoup that expense and then some. And that's something also that helps me deal with the anxiety of charging people money, doing what I love. Because we all, at least I have that. I know that some other people struggle with it, but that makes me feel better with that. And then also we talked a lot about yesterday about your clarity of purpose and knowing your why. Um, The reason why I do what I do is because I want people to have the confidence to be who they are 100% of the time. Branding and business visioning, a logo design, copywriting, that is kind of just a surfacey backdoor in a way to my bigger why. So just keeping that in mind as I'm taking them through that process really helps me just infuse the whole braid method with energy. I agree. And I think, I mean, little things like mantras for us are something that we talk about a ton and you don't even have to call them that. Um, but having those things in your business and just saying them often enough to clients, like you don't have to tell them that you're giving them a mantra, especially like I have some clients that I would never say the word mantra to, like I simply know better, but still telling them consistency breeds legitimacy, like telling them those sorts of things so that they are consistently 
getting this stuff in their head so they do it is really important. But also just in conversations. Like I have some, you know, clients that whenever we get on coaching calls or whatever, like we're going to go a little woo-woo. Um, and so working that into the client interactions where it just fits and do it naturally, not like with intention or purpose in terms of like I have to have a plan for my woo-woo. Um, it doesn't have to be that intentional. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's just being a person. Like yeah. just be a person, be who you are and and if it's a little woo woo then it will be interjected it's fine all right (laughs) agreed so um so all right so we have recently acquired a new fantastic sponsor acuity scheduling and we've been working on getting some of that integrated into our business and we've recently got it set up um in indie shopography to help us get some of our client um, meeting scheduling pains fixed because guys, I suck at time zones. (laughs) Like on this level that is so painfully embarrassing that like, I hate even talking about it, but, um, more often than not, I'm a few minutes late for a phone call because I forgot about time zones or I simply show up an hour late or an hour early. And one of the greatest things that we've, uh, we've enjoyed in terms of trying acuity scheduling out in our business is that they have like auto detection of time zones and they fix it for you, which is impeccable when your brain works in the creative chaos that mine does. So Acuity scheduling is helping me make my meetings on time, (laughs) which is rare and fantastic. Schedule clients without sacrificing your soul. Sign up for free trial of scheduling sanity at acuityscheduling.com slash beingboss. All right, let's get back to it. Let's go. (laughs) Um, Having a business partner can feel like a second marriage. How do you both work together on the Being Boss podcast? Roles, disagreements, all of that. <clears throat> well, what we talked about. I mean, yeah, you hard conversations. I want to do. Can we do like joint blog posts about hard conversations, or like a huge podcast? Well, about simply how maybe to do it? let's let's give specific examples of a hard conversation we had. I think roles was a big one. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday in terms of like in roles, whenever we sat down and decided to start the podcast, it started with, I don't want to do this. You didn't want to do something else. So you weren't going to do website. I was not going to do branding. Um, I was not going to pick out the music. That was not going to be something that I did. I was not going to be editing the podcast. Right. So we had, we had conversations about what we were not going to do, and that turned into what was left. <laughs> we divided it up, um, and that became our role. So it was a conversation that we had about what we didn't want to do, and it turned into what we were going to do to make this work. I had also been working with Emily for a few years mm-hmm. um, professionally. So because our businesses were... Complimentary. Yeah, complimentary. And because we worked on a lot of the same clients, we kind of already had a shorthand of what our style was like. We mm-hmm. knew that we were really aligned in a lot of our points of views, but then I think had enough differences that it would make for interesting conversation. Um, so, I mean, and even now, like if there's disagreements, like most recently, we... Oh. <laughs> right? Oh, why not? I mean, well, what were you going to say? 
going well, with? Well, I mean, it wasn't a disagreement, but it was kind of an awkward conversation around money. Yeah. And basically reimbursing our teams. Okay, so, like, we pay for – okay, so just to, to give you a little background on how Being Boss is set up, well, this goes into another question. Anyway, so this kind of answers another question, but Emily and I started Being Boss with no intention of it – being anything more than a side hustle. I mean, we weren't like, let's make a ton of money. We just really wanted to have another platform for sharing. Mm -hmm. We didn't start an LLC. We didn't have an operating agreement. We didn't have any of those things. We didn't have a revenue model. Like, it was just like, we're going to record, you're going to edit, we're going to post it, then we'll do it next week too. Right. Basically. So, um, So then once we started making revenue, it was a little awkward because we didn't anticipate having conversations around that right at money least, at least so not soon, that early that yeah. early so um so we so braid creative is half owner of being boss and indie shopography is half owner of being boss so it's actually not emily and kathleen it's emily and david her partner and kathleen and tara so which is my sister and business partner a lot of people don't know that but that's how it really works behind the scenes too so then that was a conversation alone. Like, is it just Emily and Kathleen or is it our businesses? Um, and that was a conversation we had to have now with four personalities. Um, and then we recently had a conversation because Emily's team is doing the editing and Chris is doing a lot of coordinating this and emailing and Caitlin is doing show notes and um, all sorts of stuff. So our individual teams are paying our people. So then recently we were like, well, maybe we should reimburse for the time spent right. on being boss. And Emily's was a little bit higher because she has more people on her team working on the show than I do on mine. And so I was like, wow, but it feels like a big difference. And so I literally called up David and just had a conversation with him. I was like, hey, I'm just gut checking this and I just want to talk to you about it out loud. One, that was nice because I wasn't having to talk directly to Emily I about it. I loved that, by the way. Whenever you called him <laughs> and I saw your name, I was like, just go in there and talk. Oh. Like, just the fact that it didn't have to go through me. Like, it, yes. was, it was a conversation that was because we are all, it's four of us. Yeah. And because you were so okay with just calling David and talking about it and not having to go through me, I was like, high five. So, but then also we've had Tara and David have conversations so that Emily and I can focus on just our feel good feelings and they can worry about the money. So <laughs> they can worry about how to manage all the money. Um, <laughs> good problem to have. So anyway, um, we do have disagreements. I think it's because we establish talking early and often about the things that we like and don't like. Right. Well, it's and it's not even easy. disagreements. Like yeah. it's, it's just things we haven't talked about yet. Like there, there are usually, it's not like we talk about things and we're like, man, I disagree. It's just there are things that at some point we need to come together and discuss, and then they're fine. Like, like even this morning, Emily was like, uh, I think that we should not have a two-hour podcast. And I was like, well, let's just do it quick fire style. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It was just a conversation. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Um, we talk. <laughs> we communicate. We set boundaries and expectations. We see what works, and we do it. Oh, but yeah, be, having business partners is like a marriage. So like I have to basically want to make out with Emily after recording this to make it work. <laughs> and you're like, Thanks. I'm glad I know that now. I don't I don't really want to make out with you. Okay. Right? Well see, and then I do make out with David. I <laughs> 
I don't make out with my sister either. <laughs> but I often think, like, even especially with Braid, it would be really hard not being sisters, being in business together, especially with, like, splitting things like being boss. Um, it brings up, I mean, there are lots and lots of conversations around it. Well, and, and I think a huge point there is because we all do have relationships that started so much earlier. I mean, you guys are sisters, which means you've known each other forever. David and I have been together more or less for the past, like, 13 years. You and I were friends for years before this. So, like, we have these relationships that are really firm foundations. Like, we have these, like, periods of dating. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get in bed together. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think that that makes it all much easier. Like, I, I think the dynamic would be different and maybe more difficult if we hadn't had those relationships first. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, as a fairly woo woman attached to a mega not woo guy, how do you deal with that? Do you want me to go first? No, I'll go. Okay. Okay, so um, David David is not a woo guy by any means. And as I get older, I'm definitely becoming much, much more woo. Um, but it started rubbing off on him, which is hysterical to me. Um, so what I've, the way I think about this, if you are woo, it's who you are. And if they love you, they love your woo. And if they're not going to love your woo, they can go. <laughs> basically um but I I, 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 mean. I I think it's just like interjecting it into just regular conversations like for me it's just like being who I am and sometimes I'll talk about like David I don't know the energy in this room is kind of weird and he just like okay Emily and it's not it's not a thing but sometimes he's like oh are you okay do we need to go like it's definitely it's grown into an understanding of who I am um and it either takes time or a hard conversation. <laughs> I found that the more secure I am in my spirituality and woo, like the, the confidence that I have around it is unapologetic. But also, um, and so I'm incredibly spiritual. Like I believe in all the things except for the devil. I don't believe in that. Despite my little, I was say, I'm wearing, wearing devil I'm wearing horns. Devil right horns. Now. <laughs> um, but my, my husband, I hope he's okay with me talking about this, but he's um, an atheist and he doesn't believe in anything. And he's really confident in that. And so we're both just so confident in what we believe and we believe in each other's truth. It's fine. Um, there was one day I was having a little bit of a meltdown around the topic of not sleeping and I was crying and my husband, we were texting back and forth and he was like, have you tried meditating? Like, you know, just, it's like, I don't believe in that shit anymore. <laughs> and he was like, I'm coming home right now. <laughs> so it wasn't like he was like, yes, finally, you're on my team. He was like, I'm coming home because he recognizes that my truth does involve meditation and the universe and all the things. Um, he's really cool and sweet with me, like, on a full moon. He's like, have you set your crystals out to be charged? You know, so, like, just... <laughs> does he put that in his iCal? Like, yeah, it's, like, in his iCal. So, I mean, I, I, but I'm with you. Like, if, if a guy's not cool with it, or... 
your partner's not cool with it. Or let me just say like, Either one, you need to get more secure and confident around your spirituality and what you believe so that you're not projecting that they have an issue with it, or if they really do have an issue with it, break up with them. Like, <laughs> no, seriously, YOLO. Yeah, I, I, com- I completely agree with that. I mean, that's one of those things of just simply being accepted for who you are, and if that's part of who you are and they're not going to accept it, they need to go. I mean, we're not here to give relationship advice. <laughs> but I could. But, like... <laughs> If actually, if oh. you're not into it, if the if things are not good, if the sex is awful, just break up. <laughs> there are a lot of people in the world, <laughs> <laughs> and my poor husband. Like anytime we have like a little bit of a valley in our marriage, he's like, "This is it. We're gonna break up because I'm so this way. Like just break up." <laughs> Um, so that said, we've had some valleys and we've come back up on the, the high side and that's actually been really cool. Like to actually see it through a little bit and to know that there is like this in a relationship sometimes, but it's not like this. Okay. I'm making big hand motions of like valleys and peaks. Um, it's not, it's not like, you know, way lows or constantly low, but he could be here. No, just break up. And <laughs> next. All right. <laughs> sorry. Uh, sorry. That now I feel this is the stuff that I get vulnerability hangovers about on the podcast. Like I'm like I should not have said that. <laughs> She'll text me later. I like, take that out. But now I have 75 witnesses to me saying just break <laughs> up. All right. All right. I'd like to know what efforts you do to keep your teams happy, motivated, and doing the best work they can do, even though it isn't their company. Where do you find inspiration to inspire your team when you're completely stressed and to whom you delegate the most work? Uh, Emily's getting a call on her (laughs) Apple Watch. I am, and I have no idea who it is. It's fine. Answer the question, Kathleen. Oh. Okay. So I felt really awkward around this because um, one of our first hires was my best friend. It's like a total no-no. We call her the third sister. We love Liz so much. And so sometimes I feel bad because I'm balancing the lines of being a boss and being a best friend. And um, it feels like a little bit more of a balance. I have a lot of practice with it because of working with my sister. Um, But I think recognizing that not everyone wants to be their own boss is huge. Liz loves having a boss. She loves that I take care of her. She loves that she's about to have a baby that I can say, okay, um, one thing that I do for her, I'm giving her the same maternity leave that I'm giving my that I gave myself. So not a lot of corporations offer eight weeks paid maternity. We're doing that. Um, so I make sure to take care of my team, but also recognizing that um, they need guidance. So they're not children. They're not dogs. But like children and dogs, like they like to have a pack leader. <laughs> I did not know where you were going to go with that line. They like to have a pack leader. Like, it makes them feel reassured. Yes. They're not... Is that... No, no, that's part of it. it could, that could have went anywhere. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. That has probably been the biggest struggle with me because I am such... I've always been in boss mode. Like, even when I was working for other people, I was like the girl in early college who was the manager of shops because I wasn't going to work for anybody else. Um, and so for me, it has definitely, the biggest struggle has been recognizing that not everyone wants to be their own boss. And I think for a lot of us, that's probably going to be the struggle, this idea of hiring people, but like, why would they want to work for me when they can work for themselves? Um, because and- it's awesome. I know exactly. So for, for me, part of that is certainly creating like a company culture that is as awesome as possible. Like, you know, my team, if they're sick, don't work. Like, don't you dare work. Like, go rest. Um, or, like, if you want to take a vacation, go. Because I'm going to travel as much as humanly possible. Um, so, for me, it's creating a company culture that gives them the same benefits of, of working as I take for myself. So, similarly with, you know, maternity leave, it's like taking off when you need to. As long as you're getting your shit done, I don't care what time of day you work. Um, as long as you are answering, you know, important emails and things like that. Um, so for me, it has, it has certainly been recognizing that not everyone wants to be their own boss and that they need and want that guidance or else they wouldn't be there. Um, but also just giving them the kind of culture that gives them the same joy that running the business gives me. Um, that has been really important for me. Um, I also ask my team constantly how it is that they're enjoying their job. Like, are, do you like the roles that you're in? Do you like how things are evolving? If they're, what things do you not like doing? In which case, do we need to find someone to do them for you? What things do you want to learn? Like, this is a conversation I have with my team once a quarter. And it's not like a, it's not a planned conversation. Conversation. It's something where we're on Skype. Like, recently, Corey was developing a website. And um, he had worked a lot of hours to get it done. And I was on Skype with him, and he was looking a little rough. <laughs> and I asked him, I was like, what have you done fun lately? And he like, looked at me, and he's like, fun. I was like, yeah, you know that thing when you're not sitting at your computer. And, um, and he, he's finishing up his last semester of school, and he does some extra projects on the side. But it was one of those things I was like, this weekend, go have some fun. Like, it's taking personal interest in your employees that makes them want to stay around. At least I hope. Chris, agree? <laughs> but that's how it works for me. For me, it's it's about giving them the love and attention and the environment that I take so much joy from and building this myself. Um, I think for me also, one of the things I struggled with early in being a boss to people, literally, is um, because Liz is my bestie, um, then feeling like I need to be friends with everyone that works for me. And that's not the case. So, like, I love Caitlin. I want her to be with Braid forever. But I'm not trying to become best friends with her. So I think that that was, like, a huge – sorry, Caitlin. I mean, I really <laughs> – Okay, good. Like, there's, like, a certain amount of – you know, personal, professional boundaries. And business is personal. It is. And you become friendly. And I would do anything for Caitlin and for my team. But, but it's also point, professional. It's also professional. And so what, yesterday we were talking a lot about the health of your business. And sometimes if you mix things up too much, that's not healthy. If you keep things too separate, that's not healthy either. All right. 
Um, we got asked when you started being boss, did you originally set it up as a business or did you just consider it a side hustle? And we talked about this a little Mm -hmm. bit. I still consider it a side hustle. I mean, I think it's a big side hustle now and it takes up a lot of our time, but it is still a side hustle. But like we're doing things on this trip, like collecting receipts for David and, um, there's a lot of, he'll get mad. (laughs) There's some tax stuff. We're hiring a lawyer um, to work with our individual businesses, but then work with being boss. So, um, yeah. It's a business now. It, it is a business, and it's a side hustle business, but it is absolutely something that we look at in terms of revenue models and taxes. We make sure all of our, like, our ass is covered in every way possible. Like, it's... It, it's a side hustle, but it's one we're taking very seriously. We will be trademarking being boss. So don't even try. Um, or earlier this Wait, year. Wait, can we say that? <laughs> Making sure no one's going to go. Let me like, talk to our lawyer. I know. That's what I'm like most right? excited about. I'll need to talk to my lawyer. <laughs> um, okay. So we got asked, how do you separate your personal self from your brand when you as a maker are your brand? I have no idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, okay, I talk a lot about personal branding. I love blending who you are with what you do. I have found, for me, the, the trigger of I need a little separation was having a baby. For a lot of people, that's not an issue, but for me, it was a little bit. So I've had to start... I've had to, in a way, start thinking about my personal brand as something a little separate from who I am. It's really kind of a mind flip, and sometimes I feel really self-absorbed, and I get sick of thinking about myself. But for me, it's just saving some things for the in-real-life conversations. Again, who I am on the podcast and in the blog post is who I really am, and most people might not know that I'm not sharing everything, but then you hang out with me in real life, and I'm really sharing everything. So, um, yeah. Well, it's like the layers of an onion thing. Like, you are the onion, and you can share whatever layers you want, but they'll continually peel back, and you can save the innards for yourself. But I think think it's just like setting boundaries. boundaries, yeah, of like what it is that you're going to share publicly, like what parts of you become your brand and what parts do you reserve for yourself and those closest to you? So I think it's, again, asking yourself, what do you want to be known for on a personal level? What are you willing to put out there? Um, What can people rely on every single time? And then I think that there's, yeah, this, the saving some stuff, but, or maybe not, like maybe you're all about putting it all out there. I think that this issue is really hard whenever you're growing and then you expect that you have to do all the work. So as a maker that you literally have to be hammering out all the jewelry yourself because your personal brain is attached to it, that's where it gets tricky, but that's just growing pains. And, and I also want to point out the, the idea or the fact that we're building businesses on the internet. So what you share will be there forever. There's a blog post where Kathleen talked about her period. That will be there forever, <laughs> which I love. We can talk about it right now. Yeah? No. I was going to say, are we going there? We're not going there. <laughs> so, like, so that is a thing, too. So as you, as you are, like, setting those boundaries, 
um, just be really aware that the things that you do share um, are going to be seen by other people forever. Um, if you could give all the bosses one book to read for fun or for personal growth, what would you recommend? Daring Greatly, done. I love Business Brilliant. All right. Um, <laughs> let's see. As entrepreneurs who have kids, what do you wish you knew before having kids that you know now about juggling of the two? So I can't answer that question <laughs> because I, I started my business right after I had Lily. So for me, it's always been the two. Um, I don't know what it was like or how easy it must have been before. Um, but for me, it's always been both of them. And whenever... Whenever I have time without Lily, I'm not working on my business. I'm, like, sleeping or, like, walking around or doing, like, me things. So I imagine I'm – it's probably, like, me time that I took out of that equation much more than business and Lily time. So probably self-care would be the one thing that I would focus on a little more. The one thing that I, like, gave up the most, but not gave up entirely. I, I love just taking baths. <laughs> um, I think the one thing that I wish I had known is that even with my baby being in daycare up to eight hours a day, um, that there's still a certain like mental energy that I reserve to him that makes me less efficient. So I legit thought okay, I'm going to be so efficient now that, especially whenever he was really little, he was maybe in daycare more like four to six hours a day, and now it's a little bit longer that he's older. Um, but still, my brain cells are just zapped, and I'm not as efficient as I used to be. It takes me longer to transition between tasks. Um, and I think that's because like by 8 a.m., I'm tapped. I've already been dealing with the emotions of a two-year-old and I know that that never changes like and it's only probably going to get harder as he gets older and has more preferences so I wish I just had known to reserve that it's not just about the hours in the day that you have there's like sort of like a an emotional and mental capacity to having kids that's really exhausting <laughs> um, I, but um I feel like I talk a lot about how hard it is to be a mom and to be boss We've been here, and the my favorite thing is getting texts from my husband and my mom sending me photos and videos of Fox, and um, my heart is just, ugh, I love that kiddo. I just want everyone to, I mean, you guys know, but I like him a lot. Um, a lot of times bosses ask me about when is the right time to have kids, and Honestly, as hard as it is, um, I don't think that there's a wrong time if you're in a good position with your heart. So, I All need right. to interject. That was my grandmother who called. I think she heard me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really like she has creepy intuition. On this <laughs> so we know. That's so sweet. Maybe you should take her call on the podcast. Oh God. So I'll talk privately later. <laughs> um, okay, we got asked on the group me. What was my book recommendation? 
Daring, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, and uh, she was on the podcast last week. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm reading some questions. Edit this space out, Corey. Poor Corey. He hears, like, some of the most obscene stories. He's like, you guys, this is too embarrassing. Can you, can you please stop talking about that stuff after you record the no, podcast? No, he loves it. I'm pretty sure he's probably keeping a separate file somewhere. Oh, my God. Like, over our head. One time I left the QuickTime running for 24 hours. <laughs> he was I was, and I didn't know how to, like, just jump into GarageBand and edit it down to, like, the hour. Right. I said, please don't listen to anything else. It, like, it, it crashed his computer. It was so big. That's what she said. <laughs> All right. Next question. Um... Okay, as creatives who offer client services, do you feel the urge to just create designs, websites, etc., for yourself to get that creative release? If so, how do you get it out with personal projects, etc.? Uh, you're looking at it. This is what being bosses. <laughs> yeah, I think Emily redesigns her own website every two weeks. Huh. I used to. I certainly used to. And that was part of it. Like, if, especially when you're starting and you don't, that's how you know you're into what you're doing, I think. Whenever, like, whenever you start out, you're not, like, slammed with client projects. If you find yourself doing it for yourself or giving it away for free or just finding people to do it for, that's how you know you've hit the sweet spot. And I think that's, that's a cool thing. And do whatever you need to do to get it out. Um, if you can do those things for personal reasons and, like, add some revenue in there that's great but like it's just you do it um one of the things that my sister and I really encourage the designers that we work with to do is to design in your own aesthetic and to design what you like um I just got a photo of Fox just now okay so so yeah so um one of the things that my sister and I really um encourage designers to do is to design in their own aesthetic. And this is kind of controversial a little bit because designers are taught to really conform to their client and problem solving for their client and being what their client wants. But for me, if I can design stuff that I love designing for my clients and get paid for it, it's a win-win. And then I can just watch Netflix in the evening. So I'm good to go as far as, like, my creative release and all that goes because I design the stuff I like designing. Done. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, we got asked, how did you each come up with your title on what to call yourselves and how many versions did you go through until you found it? Um, so I still don't have a title. Um, and <laughs> part of that's because... Your roles will be ever a cha ever changing, and I think I think you also have to cater your title a little bit to who you're talking to. Like for me, if I you know meet up with an older man who's like, "Oh, what do you do?" I'm just, I'm a web designer because it is something quick and easy that I can say to just get over that conversation. 
Um, because it doesn't matter what I do. It's just like a nicety thing. If it's a potential client, I'm going to be a little more descriptive and use words that they're going to connect to a little more. Um, so for me, I, I have none, but I have like 20. And it depends. Or sometimes I'm a podcaster. Me too. I'm a podcaster a lot now. Right. So like it, you totally cater it to your audience, like the person that you're talking to. For business card purposes, I usually just find something relatively generic and throw it on there. Okay, here's what I love about what you said there is you said, sometimes I'll just tell people I'm a web designer. I think it's really good to just say what you mean and boil it down, and that is your title. So yesterday we were talking about making your job title, and that could probably be more creative for your own clarity of purpose. But I think whenever it comes to getting hired and making money, if you're a coach, but you hate the word coach, it's a word everyone understands. Use the word coach. It will get you hired. I'm talking to you, girlfriend. Um, so we preach getting really say what you mean whenever it comes to talking about what you do. And I know that it's not everything that you do, but that's okay. You know, and I know, and we all know that you do so much more, but to make the money... Because, again, we're being boss. We're in business. Um, get more say what you mean about your title and what you do. Um, okay. Uh, we have time. I mean, I think we can keep going. Yeah, let's go. If people don't like that it's a longer podcast, they can stop listening. <laughs> True that. Um, mm. Worst business decision you ever made. And then the best for contrast. <laughs> Probably getting into business doing something I didn't love. Best, getting into business with people I love. Oh, I like that. Everyone start crying. <laughs> um, worst business decision you ever made. I think, especially early on, taking on the wrong clients just to like... I don't know, book a client. I've had a couple of those that ended up being some of the worst business decisions, whatever, worst business decisions I ever made. Um, and then best, I think, is taking on the clients that I really, really love. Especially, yeah. we work with our clients really long term, especially these days. And like, those are the decisions that will fill your bank account, but also fill your soul. It's, it's working with people on like same level but it's also working with like client side people i think those decisions are some of the best and worst you can make yeah 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 it's funny because it's a double-edged sword because i think some of the best decisions i've made is opening up to collaboration so mm -hmm. in college i was the girl that hated group projects because mm -hmm. no one else could do it right and they wanted to pull all-nighters and i like my sleep um, so those were nightmares. I was always resistant to it. So then I was like, okay, I'll get in business with my sister who is legit. Um, and then I started really opening up more and more to collaboration. Again, I opened myself up so much that then I collaborated with not wrong people because they were great people. It just wasn't a good fit. Um, so, um, I think really being careful about 
collaborations and communication and who you work with can make or break it. So it's like two sides of the same coin are the best and worst business decisions I've made. I I agree because it's not the services you offer. It's not what you name your business. It's not what you make your email address. It's not, it's not those little things that we tend to fret about. It's the people you decide to become a part of your business, either as part of your portfolio or as like, Part of your like a wholesale portfolio or your employees or your partners like it's the people you bring into your business that will make and break it not the little decisions that you make along the way all right i'm getting asked to share the story about the time i auditioned for america's next top model <laughs> do you guys want to hear this is it okay do to it. share it i think it's hysterical can i bring tara it's up time. to tell the story with me Tara, come and tell this story. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, first of all, you stole my jacket from the room. This is my jacket. I know. Like, were you like, that looks good? Yes. I thought so, too. I was like, can I have this? I actually almost brought it down this morning for you to wear because I knew it was cold in here. And then I... Partner with your sister. (laughs) She'll bring you a jacket when you're cold. (laughs) Okay. Okay. We can get in the mindset to think about this day. And and we can go back and forth. But basically, let's say, I I think I was about 21 or 22, and it was cycle six of America's Next Top Model. So this was at the very beginning of reality shows, like maybe MTV's, um, what is that show called? The Real World? The Real World. Oh, my God. No, this is way past then. Okay, so it was past then. Yeah, but it was like... But it was still at the height of, like, there wasn't a reality show for everything. Correct. So Cycle 6 of America's Next Top Model, I loved the show. I was a big fan I love Tyra and the smizing and the girls crying about cutting off their hair. And I'm like, what's the deal? I would cut off my hair in a minute. I would jump out of a plane in a minute. Like all those things, I could do this. Um, So I was about 21 or 22. I was working at an alt weekly, so like an alternative newspaper. Mm -hmm. Every week a new paper came out. I was actually working with Tara's husband. We were so (laughs) like wrong about crossing over. (laughs) So anyway, there was a lot of ads in the paper about auditioning for America's Next Top Model. Everyone I worked with was like, oh my God, Kathleen, you have to do it. So I did it. I mean, that's a story you can tell yourself. I mean, like your whole life are like, why am I not that girl? Why am I not on TV? Why am I not in the bar in Coyote Ugly? <laughs> and I'm like, why am I not Jim Henson? <laughs> So this day was like, yeah, let's do it, right? And so I think that how they do it, they do the auditions where they do local city auditions, and they were doing it at a car dealership, but it was a Volkswagen dealership. So, so it's it cool. It was really beautiful. <laughs> They're not a sponsor. It was really beautiful and modern and cool. So we had to get there at maybe 8 or 9 a.m., and you had to fill out this application online, right, and all the paperwork. I think this stuff is fascinating. I would love to see, like more behind the scenes of how reality shows are produced. I'm sure that exists, but... And I had to provide photos. I didn't have as many photographer friends then as I do now. 
So literally taking photos, I, I forgot that I needed to provide one in my bikini, like in my underwear in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> with like my Canon power shot it's like all yellow and yellow tile it was just what it's fine okay so to get a mental picture Kathleen has always changed her hair her whole life like that's what's consistent about Kathleen's hair is it's always different so at this point it was really really straight and really red and you kind of had a really rockabilly style so we thought you would make a really great character on this reality like we were really acknowledging that you have to be a character Right? Yeah. So even then, it was like personal branding. I'll be the girl mixing it up. So we kind of went into that, you know, whatever. So we get there, and uh, we have our paperwork, and we get out, and I'm with her, like her companion, and I bring an umbrella. Because I bring an umbrella with me because it's so hot and sunny that day. And so I'm like here and I have the umbrella open like so she doesn't get sunburned while we're standing in line outside the Volkswagen. And I'm like so white. <laughs> and all the other girls auditioning are beautiful, dark-skinned, African-American um, gals. Like I was one of the few really light-skinned really people pale. there. And yeah. so I'm with this umbrella just <laughs> – I just feel like a – well, I didn't feel like a dork. No. I was like, get under this umbrella. And then I'd be like to the other girls, you want to get under this umbrella? And they were like, who are you, free? Because <laughs> we were so nice. And then the local news showed up. So we're all in this long line. Everyone's taking it really seriously, except for maybe uh, – maybe you were, but you are pretending like you weren't because I was with you. But I, I felt pretty serious. Like, I really I thought it was this. hilarious. Like, I was all like <laughs> – you know, so the news guy comes and he's filming all the girls in line for America's Next Top Model edition. And all these girls look like models, by yeah, the way. Yeah, they're gorgeous. Everyone's gorgeous. I'm like, you look gorgeous in real life, Cal. I'm such a... <laughs> I'm like, listen, if you don't get in, it's just because it's not translating. Like, in real life, you're gorgeous. I know. I'm the awful older sister. So then the news camera comes, right? Yeah. And all the girls are like, you know, sucking it in and being all serious. And Kathleen turns. Here she, she's getting up. She makes eye contact with the camera guy. And she starts stomping. <laughs> like that. Yeah. <laughs> she starts stomp walking out towards the cameraman who's eating it up, and all the other girls immediately hate her guts. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> then we decide to turn to the girl behind us and be like, hey, Kathleen's like, do you want to have a fake fight? Like, in line? And she goes, oh, girl, if I'm fighting you, I'm fighting you. And we're like, sorry, never mind. I, <laughs> I take it back. That's the end of my story, because then you went into the room. Okay, so then... Uh, <laughs> I get to the next phase, and we're in a room. I can hardly remember, but we're in a room, and they're telling us all the rules about going into the room with the camera, and you're going to be standing there for 20 seconds, and then turn to the side, and then the other side, and I started really getting worried about um, how much I weighed, because, like, I'm thin, but I'm not model thin. I probably could have lost, like, 20 or 30 pounds before <laughs> auditioning for this thing. 
Um, and I was worrying about like how symmetrical my face was, but it was fine. I was still being kind of funny. funny. And so they wanted to hear personal stories and I literally went skydiving the week before just so I could talk about it for this audition. <laughs> Um, oh, that's how you did that. <laughs> I didn't tell Tara I was skydiving until after I landed. And I called her and I said, I just went skydiving. Are you crazy? A little. Wait, do you think there's a confidentiality agreement you signed when you auditioned oh. for America's Top Model? Uh, <laughs> 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 I mean, this is why I'm not doing the podcast there- with you. I'd be like, you can't say that. You can't say that. Surely. So um, it was just local reps kind of hosting the audition, and they were really nice. They were like, I think you're going to get it. So then I really thought I was going to be on America's Next Top Model. Cycle 6 comes out. There's a beautiful girl on there named Molly. Do you guys remember? She had short hair and, like, really blue eyes. That was supposed to be me. (laughs) Like, that's the slot you would have filled. Yeah. So that's my America's Next Top Model audition story, which we may have to edit out for. I'm looking at our, our lawyer now. I can say it too now. We're fine. She says we're fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks for letting me come I mean, up for that story. I didn't want to talk about branding or <laughs> methodology or. No, you're, like, you're I want to talk about the, the America's Next Top Model, model. story. All right. Thanks. <laughs> All right. We have a couple more questions, and they're really good. You guys are asking really good questions, so do it. Um, again, it might be a little longer podcast. We have a hard stop at noon so that we can poop and go see psychics. But... Um, Uh, we're getting a lot of coaching questions. I didn't mean to be like, ugh. Um, <laughs> She's really excited about these. Okay. Do you have a coach you've worked with for a long time, or do you mix it up every six months or so and find a new coach to focus on specific goals? I do think that whenever you hire a coach, it's good to know exactly what you want coaching around. I've had coaches for more vague reasons, and it just feels like I'm making up stuff to be upset about just to get coached on it. So that's a little awkward. Um, And something that you have to be careful about whenever you're being coached. Like, uh, so, so be careful about that, that you're not just making up stuff to be upset about. I like getting different coaches for different things, but I always go back to... Um, my coach, Jay Pryor, whenever I need him, I just will call him up and be like, hey, I just need one session. Like, I just need a brush up. But then I also have people in my life, like Emily, who is a business coach, and I can, I can, we talk about a lot of things, leverage that. I'm like, sorry if I'm crossing any boundaries, but do you think I should do this to my email list? And she's like, yes, yes, and no, you know, whatever. (laughs) And then also, obviously, my sister is a huge, um, help in my life personally and professionally. So, but I do think that mixing it up and getting a coach for what you need is important. But then if you find someone that you connect with, come back to them. And even if you need to talk to them about things that aren't in their area of expertise, but you really trust them, um, that's always good too. Agreed. 
All right. Uh, do you think using coach requires a coaching certificate? I default to mentor since I'm not a trained or certified coach. And this probably comes, this question probably comes because we're like, if you're a coach, just say that you're a coach. Um, I think that coaching and the industry is booming and it's getting huge. I'm weird about using the word mentor because if I'm mentoring someone, it does not cost money. Like for me, being a mentor is someone that I'm giving my time to, giving my gifts of knowledge to because I have a personal vested interest in them. I mean, I have a personal vested interest in everyone I coach too. Um, it's just a different relationship. It feels more of like an internship or that sort of thing. But um, I think you can use coach without being certified, but just be careful. Just, you well, know. I know there's a lot of stink about this. I like, know. There's, it's a big, nasty conversation. And I, the, the way you fix it is that you actually are good at what you do. So if you're going to use coach, don't mar the word by being an asshole coach. Like, just do it right and no one will ever have a problem. I felt like I needed to go through coaching training in order to call myself a coach. I needed that to, to give myself the confidence and credibility. So I did that and it was huge and it was awesome for, for getting that and feeling like I can use the word coach. Um, I don't think it's necessary even after going through the training. I'm like, wow, this is a lot of stuff that I was already reading about or already doing in my business, but I needed to pay that money and that investment to feel good about using that word. So it might just be get some certification, invest in it, and feel really good about using the word coach. Um, do you have any advice on relating to close friends who are not entrepreneurs? I find many of mine have a hard time talking to me about my work life because they assume it is always amazing and why would I ever struggle or complain? I've surrounded myself with entrepreneurs. I know. I'm thinking the same thing, too. Or, or you just show them both sides of it. Like, if you guys are going to have a conversation about work, I mean, they're going to both, like, praise and bitch. And you can do the same thing, too. Um, like, show them that it's not all, like, daisies and butterflies. But don't, like, don't endlessly talk about it. Um, and... I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of thoughts that entrepreneurs just get to play all day. And I think it's almost part of our job to like prove that this shit is hard or else everyone's going to be an entrepreneur and half of them are going to end up failing. But it's also not that hard. Says the bosses. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like I just don't want to perpetuate. It's both. Like, and I don't think that it's for everyone, but I do think that there is something happening in our creative culture or society that really celebrates the entrepreneur right now. And I don't think that we all have to be entrepreneurs to connect like bosses. You can be your own, you can be boss without being your own boss. Um, so for my friends, it's kind of like relating to my friends that don't have kids and saying, okay, here's the experience. Here's what I'm experiencing. But then also I love connecting with my mom friends and being like, okay, can we just talk about this? Like you can dive deeper faster, but I still love having friends that don't have kids because yeah. They're more fun. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. A little bit. A little bit. Um, yeah. Well, and I, I think it's. I think it's being okay not talking about work sometimes. And I know that's something that people like us who are so into what we do get into this rut of talking about what we do all the time. And and that drives our non-entrepreneur friends nuts. So I think just being mindful of like having a good balance in conversation is really important. And then they're going to be a lot more responsible receptive when you are talking about what you do than if you're literally just talking about it all the time. 
I have weird boundary issues too because I hang out with so many creative entrepreneurs. Whenever we're talking about business, there's a point in which I'm like, you know what? Like you're my good friend, but I should be charging you for what we're talking about right now. And and it is a really careful balance because I love talking business and I love like, giving my friends as much as I can. But at some point, like, hey, can we talk about boys or something or, mm-hmm. you know, travel yeah. or just something else? Um, so it is balanced there too. Um, we got asked, how do you handle the incidental naysayers in your lives, both in business and otherwise? How do you not let negative but unavoidable folks take the wind out of your sails if you're super stoked with where you're going? I break up with them. That, that's, I feel like that's more of an internal conversation than an external conversation. People are going to say shit. If people don't understand what you do, they're not always just going to, like, resort to positivity. And if you get the negative stuff, deal with it within you. I mean, I'm a web designer, which in the South, where I'm from, is not understood by any means. And most people, like, whenever I tell them what I do, they look at me with a little bit of pity and concern and a sweet little Southern smile on their face. But, like... It's something that I had to learn to completely and utterly get over. And it's not a conversation you have with them. It's a conversation you have with yourself. Um, and I think that, like, you you just get over it. Um, because if you let that bog you down, you will never make the next steps to make what you do legitimate to them as well as yourself. Yeah, again, I think it's a confidence issue. So... I, I really don't have very many naysayers. Tara and I joke that our dad is often like, hey, if this braid thing doesn't work out, you guys should do like Halloween costumes for a living because that's so much more lucrative than... <laughs> well, what about now that you are a podcaster? Oh, yeah, no. People are like, what? I think, okay, here's what I get. I think that people assume that I don't make any money. So whenever I'm out maybe to a not networking event, but like maybe a social event with my husband and they ask us what we do, I'll say I'm a creative entrepreneur, I do branding and business visioning, or I'm a podcaster, whatever the title is that day or who I'm talking to. And um, then they ask my husband and he says, oh, I'm an electrical engineer, I do software engineering. And they're like, oh, well, that's good that like you can pay the bills to him. And then he's like, actually, my wife makes almost twice as much money as I do. So, (laughs) see ya. No, it's really not. (laughs) Like, I just laugh my way to the bank. Or, like, now, like, so I used to be, and there's probably, like, even just talking about here, maybe a little bit of insecurity or, like, I have something to prove about it. But um, now I'm kind of like, you know what? You can think that. You can think I make no money. That's fine. I have nothing to prove to you, stranger, at this event. Right. Or, or family. And that is a total... And family, other, totally. too. I mean, yeah. But it's, it's also the same. It's an internal conversation. You work hard. You prove them wrong. Um, I know for me, a lot of it's definitely been using that as fuel to, like, do what I need to do to make anything that anyone could ever say to me completely irrelevant. And, like, I would rather use that as power for moving forward than, like, something that holds me back. 
I think the more confidence I have in my vision and what I'm doing, the more I can get my family on board with it. And so this is huge. Like if your partner is scared because you want to quit your job and they're like, hey, I don't know, like will this work? They're thinking about themselves quitting their jobs and trying to do what you're doing. And that might not be for them. And that's okay. So again, communication. Talk to them. Say, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Here's how I plan on making money. If they're riling something up in you by being a naysayer, it might be because you have holes in your business model, especially if they love you the most. So for example, I might bring something up to Tara and she's like, I don't know about that. And if I get angry and defensive, it's because probably she's right um, or because there are some holes in it or she's scared. And I'll say, okay, no, here's why I think it's going to work. Um, so again, just having those conversations and then either she's on board and she's like, yeah, okay, let's do it. Or she's like, I, don't, I still don't know about that, but it, it, we can try. And then it fails and it's not a big deal. We move through it. So, all right. Thank you guys so much for joining us in New Orleans. This weekend has been just above and beyond anything we could have ever expected or wished for. Our minds and hearts are just blown way wide open. And we are hoping to maybe do two events a year. So maybe in the spring and the fall, it might be a little bit ambitious. We're experimenting with what that might look like. So any of you listening, if you want to come on a vacation with us, we're going to have more in the future. All right. Thanks. Do the work. Be boss. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Find show notes for this episode at lovebeingboss.com. Listen to past episodes and subscribe to new episodes on our website, on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Did you like this episode? Head on over to our Facebook group by searching Being Boss in Facebook to join in on the conversation with other bosses or share it with a friend. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week. question was it do you how do you get inspired after you've lost your motivation boner I think for Emily and I like even if we don't have a motivation boner we still have to right you choose I, I, I think the way the way we do what all right uh, you just gotta get in there and do it and just trust that it's going to feel good once you start. <laughs> I love sex metaphors. <laughs>